from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast I think couple of uh, ideologies mainstream ideologies see anti-caste uh, ideology as a threat one has to also understand when we bring in anti caste narrative or bahujan narrative to mainstream it also confronts the privilege of certain communities if i speak about land reforms you know if i speak about affirmative action it is also about highlighting or pointing out how a certain section of people have benefited from caste or from feudalism and this is always seen as a threat by the elite um, caste and class so that's where this this entire narrative of uh, you know um, how certain ideologies is seen as a threat ashwini kp who you just heard recently became the first dalit woman from asia to be appointed by the united nations human rights council as a special rapporteur she's going to be a special representative at the organization working on contemporary forms of racism racial discrimination xenophobia and related intolerance in today's episode ashwini is speaking with my colleague alka dupkar about why her identity as a woman and dalit matter in the role that she's about to take up she explains what she plans to do the challenges of speaking up as an ambedkarite and why speaking about caste outside india doesn't make you anti hindu you have said that uh, dalit women in positions like this will bring genuine discussion and discourse about gender and caste tell me about the new avenues open up for you and why your both identities matter here being a dalit and a woman i think the opportunity that i have received is something really huge and uh, particularly in the context of representation gender is often used in a, in a very um, uh, a broader sense where caste or class or region all of these aspects are not taken into consideration or there is often minimum consideration or no consideration to these aspects so being a woman and also a dalit it has actually you know opened up several avenues for me to address uh, descent based uh, and occupation based discrimination and even if one has to look at the representation of dalit women particularly in in global platforms it has been um disproportionate in comparison to many other privileged communities this will actually bring in a genuine discussion about aspects related to caste based violence perpetuated particularly against dalit women particularly in global platforms and today caste is not confined to india or south asia alone uh, it has been extensively discussed and has become part of the global human rights discourse particularly at the united nations in that context i think uh, um, you know it will give me a lot of space to um, as a dalit woman also to bring in my lived experiences to kind of enhance the entire existing discourse what is your mandate as a special reporter of united nations on contemporary forms of racism racial discrimination xenophobia and related intolerance it's a thematic um mandate you know there are several positions where people focus on various themes and here we majorly focus on racism and different forms 
of uh, discrimination, which is similar to this. Um, uh, for me, as as a Dalit woman, I think the aspect of gender will be one of the most important issues that I would push as a mandate holder, um, because I think um, when we look at discrimination, be it racism or xenophobia, uh, women are the ones who are doubly discriminated or triply discriminated. And at the same time, um, when you look at technological advancement across the globe, social media or presence of marginalized communities who are being assertive, particularly on social media, there is this uh, hate and uh, hostility, the way in which social media has created that space for, for marginalized communities being assertive. But again, the same space has created the kind of hostility as well. I'm interested to look at how social media has played a very important role in enhancing that space for marginalized. But at the same time, these are the same spaces where um, hate and hostility is perpetuated against marginalized women. So casteism is often brushed aside by Indians abroad, saying that it affects them uh, since it ends up becoming anti-Hindu. How would you respond to uh, that? I think uh, it's a privilege for the um, privileged or the dominant communities to brush aside caste as a thing of the past or uh, to sit, to claim themselves to be casteless. You know, it's, it's actually a privilege for any um, dominant or privileged uh, community individual to say that they're casteless, whereas at the same time they would uh, get the privilege of they being from the dominant communities or the privileged communities. When we look at diaspora communities, uh, particularly the Indian diaspora, I think caste is very much visible and operates the similar way how it operates in India or any other part of South Asia. They still carry their surnames. We still see, um, you know, uh, um, associations and organizations based on caste. From universities to workspaces, there are matrimonials where, you know, there's specific preference to caste. Many of them address caste, anti-caste issue in, in a very academic perspective. And when we look at academic perspective, we cannot do away with the entire idea of how caste is also associated with the Varna system, which is very much part of, you know, a certain religious aspect. We cannot do away with how caste has been justified in texts like Manuskruti, which is a fact. I think uh, it, it's high time for the privileged communities to acknowledge that Caste has been part of certain um, culture, which is directly or indirectly related to a certain religion. It is high time that we acknowledge that it is a problem. You know, there are people who still continue to say that how caste is necessary or, you know, some someone might say that untouchability is a problem, but there is it's okay with Varna system. I think any system which is based on hierarchy is a problem. And uh, most of this anti-Hindu narrative comes from a certain group of people who are not much aware of the entire academic discourse of how the theory of caste has originated. Many on social media say, without understanding the issue at all, say that uh, casteism exists because of reservation. You remove the reservation and casteism will go away. What is your answer to them? 
I've always encountered this narrative, you know, since as a student um, and even as an academic while I was teaching, things haven't changed much. You know, I still remember that while I sat as a student in a classroom, I had my classmates who would make the same argument. And after a couple of years, I stood there in the same institution as a teacher and I had my students, you know, throwing at me the same argument. And I think a reservation is always misunderstood. Reservation or affirmative action is one of the progressive legislations ever, you know, um, uh, implemented in independent India. And we should look at it as a piece of legislation which has brought in social, political and economic transformation, particularly for the marginalized communities. We also have to understand that reservation is just not for the scheduled caste or scheduled tribe community, whereas you know, reservation is there for women. Reservation is there for OBCs. And now we do have economic weaker section reservation. There's reservation based on region, uh, religion, a very casteist narrative that has been constructed even among academia. You know, it's just not among normal individuals. Again, a different, an academic or, a, or, or a, the way in which uh, casteism has manifested in different ways. I think this is majorly to do with how in educational institutions that there has to be a serious orientation about um, how reservation is not a poverty elevation program. It addresses proportional representation. So I think it's high time that, you know, activists or academicians actually contribute in narrating and changing this anti-affirmative action or anti-reservation perspective. As a solution, Project Mukti had run Dalit History Month of which you were a part two. Uh, what was the purpose of this project? How successful was the project to achieve the aim it had set? I think you all are aware of uh, uh, Black History Month. And uh, uh, this is majorly inspired by Black History Month. We were very keen on looking at how um, Dalit narratives or marginalized narratives itself is presented. You know, for the longest time, there has always been appropriation of Dalit narratives, Dalit history. And one of the main aim of Dalit History Month was also to look at different aspects, be it cultural, political, social, or also looking at individuals who were not spoken about within the community who immensely contributed. And all these issues which were never focused on, we tried to look at anti-caste movements. We tried to look at uh, Dalit women leaders, Adivasi women leaders who were not spoken about in mainstream texts, academia or generally, you know, in mainstream narrative to make people aware of how, you know, how rich uh, um, Dalit history is or the marginalized history is. It was really important for us to create our own history and narrative. You know, it's always when you see the marginalized history is always um, not in the mainstream. I mean, of course, people belonging either from the community or not from the community can always write and speak about marginalized communities. But when you have individuals from the community who are bringing the narrative on table, there is a change in the story. So the main idea behind Dalit History Month was to bring that authentic narrative of marginalized communities. And uh, we managed to bring stories um, from across India, and, and this was not just confined to India. I did write about um, Dalit movement in Nepal. There were uh, many of my um, colleagues who also wrote about, um, you know, within South Asia, outside India. So that made a lot of difference in just bringing 
placing that you know dalit history uh, on table and uh, it it uh, opened up lot of uh, discussion about dalit history itself in paranjay's latest movie which deals with all these issues very wonderfully we see the unwelcoming reaction of people when rene the protagonist uh, proudly reveals that she is an ambedkarite did you go through similar situations too and can you talk about uh, your personal experience you know always especially when you are into academics and when you teach particularly in a very um elite space where you have a large section of students are from privileged communities come from a certain privileged caste and class uh, when you reveal your identity and you say that you are a dalit and when you start teaching particularly anti caste narrative or feminism you know there's always this the way in which the person who listens to you will judge you so um it's it's very tricky when we when i actually asserted myself as an ambedkarite i always um spoke about baba saheb ambedkar in different contexts not confining it to anti caste movements alone and um yes for the longest time i have seen that even as a student when i when i used to be very assertive in class and speak about you know uh, anti caste movement or ambedkarite ideology and people did have issues in fact many of my students did have issues saying that oh she always brings in the narrative of caste when she speaks this is what many of my students had told without even understanding that how caste plays a very dominant role in every space that we are and there's lot of hostility also that you face when you speak about ambedkar or caste and you know being assertive you can be put at the receiving end for for you being openly an ambedkarite the assertion about anti caste movement or uh, one being assertive about uh, ambedkarite movement is not taken uh, in a very positive way when we speak there's a there's a lot of difference between being caste conscious and casteism and as as a dalit when i say i'm caste conscious i'm trying to say that why it is important for me as a dalit woman to be open about my identity and to assert that yes it is not okay for someone to be casteist and i as a marginalized woman would speak about how you know my community has been oppressed for centuries together and i think um, it's fair enough for me to bring in to you know to a classroom where a good number of students are there with you know this diversity people from come from different background and this narrative is often it it should be spoken about you have done your doctoral thesis at jawaharlal nehru university uh, tell us when you see the anti national stamping narrative is propagated against jnu by a certain political ideology what undercurrents do you read in it the entire anti national narrative started when i just left the campus i didn't experience that direct repercussion while in campus but yes i just started teaching when this narrative gained momentum in in media and various other social media platforms where you know a lot of people came up with this uh, uh, a very mediocre uh, argument of how politics is not important students go to jnu you should go to university to study and uh, it it's very disturbing when you have this narrative there's nothing wrong in students being politically conscious and politically active everything that we do that we speak eat our socialization everything is politics even the color we wear is politics 
and uh, this entire thing of you know anti-national narrative oh jnuites are anti-national um i mean it's it's been very very problematic one should also understand that it's one of the reputed premier institutions in the country which has provided that space for uh, you know um, political discussions and you know various political discourses and this will actually affect a lot of students we have also have to understand that these are institutions which Uh, give space for a lot of marginalized communities and at the same time when when this narrative of anti national is constructed by a certain fringe group or a certain group of people it also affects the credibility the academic credibility and political credibility of an institution and individual students who belong to that institution in fact while i started teaching i had students who said that why would someone be there you know that 28 year old 29 year old what are they doing in universities you know without understanding the fact that it takes minimum of 28 29 years for one to complete their phd so people were not even aware of how the system of education works in india and they were upfront you know attacking one of the premier institutions and we also have to understand that when we say political organizations it's just not the left organizations that exists from abvp to sfi to nsui to dalit organizations bahujan student organizations there are feminist student associations which exists on campus so by bringing this anti national narrative we are completely diluting or you know completely negating the very existence and credibility of different progressive um, you know student bodies that exist so i think this is something that needs to be spoken about and uh, that needs to be this anti national narrative needs to be countered you know it needs to be uh, sidelined it's not a um, narrative which can be welcomed and it it will always have a serious repercussion on particularly marginalized community faculties and students who are in, in the institution ashwini over the years we have seen a spike in xenophobia and racial tensions even in countries developed countries like us that projected themselves as being liberal uh, what are your biggest worries about the liberalism or the liberal project uh, as it stands so no country is free from you know instances like xenophobia or you know racial tension i think this is also the major concern is also how certain fringe groups are gaining that impunity and this is something that needs to be addressed when we look at uh, religion we, it's it's important particularly let's take even in the context of south asia or like india when we say religion or minorities we also have to see within minorities which is that minority religion is more oppressed and at the same time when you look at um, the the uh, issue of caste we also have to look at gender or we have to look look at within caste the most marginalized and the, to a certain extent liberal groups have not been keen on on focusing on these aspects it's high time that you know the liberal um, uh, groups also recognize that how the intersectionality aspect of caste gender all of that doubly you know affects individuals from marginalized community and it's also important for the liberals to engage with the state we cannot deny the existence of state and state is extremely important and the state mechanisms i'm talking about the domestic policies and i think we have to engage with state to make sure that we have a safer space for the marginalized communities
Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunay Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at typodcast at timesinternet.in.